Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He was tremendously happy about something. The word for rejoice here refers to the kind of joy that lifts one off the ground and makes him leap. It is a joy that only God, the Holy Spirit, can produce, and yet joy that requires flesh and blood to express. It is an active joy that cannot be contained. It's the same word used for John the Baptist while yet in his mother's womb when he leaped for joy at the voice of the Virgin Mary. There is no record of Jesus expressing greater joy than what we just heard here in Luke chapter 10. Now he promises us such joy, to be sure, frequently in fact, and even he commands such joy, such as, for instance, when we are persecuted for his name's sake. That is the word he uses for exceedingly glad. But to hear of Jesus expressing this joy for himself and with such exuberance today should truly move our hearts to lean in and learn the cause of his excitement. So what then made him so happy? What caused him to bless his Father, whom he calls the Lord of heaven and earth, and to thank him with such joy in the Holy Spirit. It is this, that it seemed good in his Father's sight to hide from the wise and prudent what he reveals to babes. Jesus is as happy as he is ever recorded being on account of this, that his Father hides from the wise and prudent what he reveals to little infants. So what is it then that he hides and reveals? What are these things that Jesus refers to? What was revealed to baby John the Baptist that the wise and prudent cannot see? This is what we will consider this morning. And so that we may find joy in what our text from Holy Scripture teaches us, let us now ask the Holy Spirit to show it to us. Let us pray. Dear Lord and giver of life, by your words, which we now set our minds and hearts diligently to ponder, reveal to us, we pray, what is hidden in Christ alone from before the foundation of the world. Persuade us always to find our joy in what God the Father makes known in the tender mercies of his beloved Son, so that, making no boast in our own flesh, we might find pardon and peace in the flesh of him who died and rose to free us from sin and give us eternal life. You who proceed from both Father and Son from eternity also with them live and reign unto all ages. So live and reign in us, dear Comforter, that we may always be rejoicing in what you would have us believe and do. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. So first let's consider a little context so that we know what Jesus means by these things that the Father hides and reveals. His 70 disciples had just returned with great joy themselves. How excited they were. We would all be so excited. They had been sent out two by two to prepare every city and place where Jesus was about to go. And Jesus had given them power over everything venomous and evil and everything that could hurt them obeyed them in Jesus' name. What a rush. Consider it. Jesus sent them 
What had made them most nervous, perhaps, at the time, was that Jesus forbade them from taking any extra clothing or shoes or food or anything like that as they departed two by two as lambs among wolves, Jesus said. They were commanded to subsist and find their living on the generosity and gratitude of those who heard their message and believed it. Now that's daunting, isn't it? How will people respond? How will things go? They were most concerned about other people. They departed, no doubt, on nerves, but when they came back, they were all excitement. Things had gone much better for them than they might have feared. Lord, they said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You can almost see a certain giddiness, and you can't blame them. You can imagine having it yourself if you return from such a successful campaign. They went from Jesus down into the world on a dangerous mission and then came back to Jesus unharmed and rejoicing. But, like a father who, to the disappointment of his children, shows no joy in what they seem so happy about, Jesus does not reciprocate or match their excitement at all. Instead, he calmly rebukes them. Now, it wasn't severe, but it was straightforward and blunt. And his failure to join them, all smiles and their exuberance, probably made him seem more stern in his reproach. He said, do not rejoice in this. Imagine saying this to your kids when they tell you something that they're excited about, and they expect you to be pleased. Don't be so happy about this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice, rather, because your names are written in heaven. But then Jesus himself smiled. Then Jesus, who had shared none of their joy, at first was overcome by his own, and he showed it. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He thanked God for revealing only to babies what he was about to teach his disciples. He said that they were blessed to see what they saw. They were blessed to see what cannot be seen except by babies, he told them. Think of that. Jesus thanks his Father that only babies can see what he otherwise hides from everyone else in the world. And then he tells his disciples that they are blessed because they see it and it's not hidden from them because they're babies. He calls them babies. He tells them to rejoice, not that they succeed in this or that, nor that they have powers that impress and make them feel invincible and successful or worthy of whatever mission Jesus might have ever given them. Not that they left and returned unscathed and uninjured and unrobbed in any way. No, he tells them to rejoice instead that their names are written in heaven. For your name to be written in heaven means that your salvation is secure and certain and cannot be taken from you no matter what happens to you, no matter what you do or don't do. It is God who writes names in heaven, and he does so before the foundation of the world. For your name to be written in heaven is for God to have chosen you to be saved eternally by pure grace without any dependence on you or your own merit or worthiness or success in life, either spiritually or materially. For your name to be written in heaven is irrevocable. This is what it means for your names to be written in heaven. But then Jesus blesses their eyes and tells them that this is what they see. How in the world do you see that your names are written in heaven? Where does God make known such an irrevocable choice that even he can't undo? Where do you look? 
The answer to this question is extremely important. You see your names written in heaven. You see God's irrevocable election for you, for eternal life, by seeing what the faithful prophets and kings longed to see. You see what Jesus alone reveals by revealing himself as the Savior of the world. This is what he tells them they are blessed for seeing. They see Jesus. They see God in flesh and blood. They see the Son of God who nobody knows but the Father, and whoever sees Jesus in the flesh sees the Father whom nobody knows but the Son. Jesus wills to reveal the Father to them. He reveals the Father to them and to everyone by publicly suffering and dying for the whole world's sin. He reveals the Father by making peace with God for all mankind, for everybody. He wills to reveal the Father to everybody. But he wills to reveal the Father in this way only, by willingly dying for everybody in the world. And yet he rejoices that the Father only lets babies see what he reveals. What does this mean? It means that for Jesus to rejoice at such a wonderful mercy is hidden from the wise and prudent. It's for Jesus to rejoice that salvation is made accessible to you only by grace alone and never by works. It is hidden from those who insist on figuring it out, who insist on figuring out what they need and what they don't need. It is revealed only to those who simply need, who need what Jesus does for them, like helpless babies, and who, like helpless babies, simply receive the help they need. This is what causes Jesus to rejoice with more joy than he has ever recorded to express, that everything he does for the whole wide world is revealed only to those who benefit from it simply by receiving it and not by earning it. It is by seeing the true Son of the Father who sheds his blood to atone for the sins of the world that one sees his name written in heaven. It is by needing God to mediate for you, to atone for your sins and make peace for you. It is by knowing this need Finding this need met nowhere but where God himself pledges peace to you in the blood of his Son, where he establishes his covenant and does not renege. By seeing Jesus as their Savior, God, his disciples saw their names written in heaven. By seeing Jesus as your Savior, God, you see that your names are written in heaven, and despite whatever works he did thereafter, it was by the covenant that God made, the promise that God made, that Abraham saw his name written in heaven too. You will not see your name written in heaven anywhere else than where God makes the promise and Jesus fulfills it. It is as we sing in the hymn at the end of every church year, O Jesus, who my debt didst pay and for my sin was smitten, within the book of life, O may my name be also written. I will not doubt, I trust in thee, from Satan thou hast made me free and from all condemnation. Far from rejoicing, therefore, that the demons are subject to us, we rejoice that Satan himself is subject to Christ. It is by seeing Jesus bear your sin and reconcile sinners to God by his holy suffering and death 
It is by seeing this in faith that you see your names written in heaven. As we also sing, On my heart imprint thine image, blessed Jesus, King of grace, that life's riches, cares, and pleasures have no power thee to efface. This the superscription be the label of, that labels Jesus' image on the cross for you. This the superscription be. Jesus crucified for me is my life, my hopes, foundation, and my glory and salvation. You see the image of Jesus on the wall or window or on the memory of your heart, and you say he did that for me, to take my sins away from me and make peace between me and God. There is where I look on the cross to see my name written in heaven, to see God's choice for me from eternity that he will not turn away from or change his mind about. There you see God's favor upon you, where you see Jesus bear God's wrath upon himself. There you see that God is at peace with you. You see this in the eye of your mind by faith, and blessed are the eyes that see it. So says Jesus. But you want to look elsewhere. Like the faithful prophets and kings as as Christians, dear Christians, you have a longing to see. You have a longing to be what God says you are. And you want to trust in what you see in yourself rather than in what you see in Christ on the cross and what he reveals to you in the sacrament of his body and blood that don't look or feel like what God says they are. But God says they are what he says they are just as he says that you are what he says you are. He calls you righteous. He justifies you. But you want to see more than what babies are content to believe. You have a longing, and the devil twists this longing to take your eyes off of where your names are written in heaven and to look inside yourself instead. You want to see in your own life and heart what God says you are. Seeing Jesus seems at times to be insufficient. Perhaps you fear that you are taking God's grace for granted or abusing it. Since you don't always feel your faith to be as strong as you'd like, you begin to look at your life. You can't strengthen your own faith, but maybe you can improve your life and get things in better order. And you know how. You do. You know the law. You know what God commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is correct. So says the law, and it's clear. And even if it is hard, yet the progress or success you might make is at least measurable. It is certainly easier to see and feel how evil things like temptations submit to you than it is to see and feel the truth that your sins are forgiven. And so we begin to trust in our own ability to overcome temptation. We begin to rejoice that the demons are subject to us even as we turn our eyes away from where our names are written in heaven. That is where Jesus crushed the devil's head. Now in light of this temptation, which we know, dear brothers and sisters, to look away from Jesus and to base our assurance of salvation on our own spiritual triumphs instead, in light of this, our natural desire to rejoice in the strength of our flesh more than in the clear message that the Holy Spirit teaches us, In light of this, please consider now this parable that Jesus told. It is a story that is told for us who are tempted to rely on our own wisdom and prudence. 
that is on our own holiness and obedience and progress instead of relying on the wisdom of the cross revealed in Jesus Christ to babies. A wise and prudent lawyer came to him and asked him what he needed to inherit eternal life. That is to say, he asked what he needed to do to ensure that his name was written in heaven. That's what he asked. Jesus asked him what was in the law. And as we noted, he answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The wise and prudent lawyer did not ask him to reveal the Father. Notice. He did not ask to know the Son of God. Notice. He had no thought that he maybe had failed to love God. He had this covered. He thought he was good enough in this regard, and by asking who his neighbor was, he was asking what he had to do for his neighbor in order to benefit himself. Never did it occur to him that he needed his neighbor to do something for him. More than that, he needed God to become his neighbor. So Jesus tells the story. A man leaves Jerusalem and heads down to Jericho. Just as Jesus' 70 disciples left Jesus and headed down into the world. Jerusalem represents the heavenly thoughts that we begin with, that we set our mind upon. And Jericho represents the wicked world of temptations into which we enter every day of our lives. This is a picture of our life, that we leave heavenly thoughts to ponder worldly things. And we enter into a dangerous world where we encounter temptations. And we are robbed, like this man of all our righteousness. We're robbed of our resolve to be obedient and holy. We're robbed of our integrity. And we're left with nothing but half dead. We trust in our worldly wisdom and prudence and we fall into temptation and we fall hard. And who can help us? The priest and the Levite represent the law and those who trust in it, and they can do nothing to help. All they can do to help the man is advise him to love God more. Imagine that. That's their advice. Love your neighbor more. That's the absurdity of those who trust in the law to be righteous. That's what they think of mercy, because that's what they think of the mercy they themselves need. Love more. Well, that command does nothing for you when you need love, when you need help. Those who trust in the law cannot love. They can only seek their own righteousness. But here comes the one who is despised. That's what the Samaritan represents. The one who has no form or comeliness that we should desire him, and he does not pursue his own righteousness. He pursues the fulfillment of righteousness. He doesn't pursue his own benefit. He pursues the fulfillment of the law by pursuing mercy and love toward a man who deserved everything he was getting while he lay dead. He doesn't give us advice from the law on how to improve and avoid anything in the future. No, he lets the law do what it does. He pours wine on to disinfect and oil to soothe. He puts the man on his own beast, thus representing that everything is by his strength and he brings him to a place of rest at his own expense, thus showing us that the rest we need is a rest that only he can bring us to and that we never earn. And not just until we are strong enough to do for ourselves the rest of what we need to do. No. He promises to return, and whatever more he, re he, he must spend, he will repay. 
And by this we see that in our beginning, Christ gives us everything we need until our end. When we are baptized, God makes an oath to us, and he elicits an oath from us. His oath is to pay everything until we die and until he brings us to heaven. And our oath is to depend on this mercy and to never move ourselves from this foundation, but to remain sinners in need, babies who trust And so this is the lesson we learn. Remain in Christ. Depend on him when you must leave heavenly thoughts and apply yourself to matters of the world. For you will enter into temptation. And you will want all temptations and demons who tempt you to submit to you. And maybe they will. And this will be pleasing. God grant it. God grant that you are able to rejoice in keeping a resolve and forsaking sin or a wicked habit. God grant that. But when you return to Jesus, do not boast to him that all temptations have been subject to you. Rather, boast in him that the devil is subject to him who died and rose for you. That is where you find your name written in heaven. Return to him and confess that he is your savior who has paid the debt that you owe and claim in your baptism where all that you have ever received and ever will receive was already made yours even while you were a little baby. And so we remain little babies. We prayed last week that we may obtain that which God promises. And so we ask him to make us love what he commands. And we want to see ourselves fulfill this and do what he commands. One who does not want to do what God commands is not a Christian and is not sorry for his sins. But we do not trust in our ability to fulfill it. We do not say that we complete what he commands. We say that we love what he commands. Because what he commands from us is the mercy that he sent his son to show us. And we love it. We love it. And in that desire to see, dear Christians, to see the love of God, to see in yourself what God says you are, righteous before his face, you bring that to expression by showing mercy to one another. Forgive those who have slighted you. Seek reconciliation with those you're annoyed with. Talk to them. Seek peace and pursue it, as the Holy Spirit tells us. And so we see in our lives the love that God has shown for us. We confess it, we embrace it, we depend on it. We depend on the gospel, and as newborn babes we desire it. We find our names written in heaven where it is preached to us on earth. And so you find your name written in heaven where angels rejoice to see your sins are forgiven. And Jesus rejoices to forgive you and give you eternal life in his name. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.